Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Welcome into the Free Retiree Show. You're sitting down with your favorite podcast talking all things career, money, and avoiding the big mistakes that people do in their lives. The Free Retiree Show. I'm sitting down with career advisor, extraordinaire, Silicon Valley mentor, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? And Silicon Valley's favorite attorney, Matt McElroy. What's going on? For today's episode, we're going to bring you a money management edition, and we're going to be talking about the biggest mistakes investors make when investing in the stock market. The stock market can be a very powerful way to build wealth. However, there's a ton of misconceptions and a ton of mistakes when it comes to investing in the stock market. With all the crazy opinions that are out there, the trading system, the stock picking gurus, who knows what's right? Who knows what's wrong? And you know, with all that out there, Investing in the stock market can be intimidating, massively confusing. And, you know, from my personal experience, I think I figured out, you know, what works, what doesn't just from making the mistakes myself and the experience in the industry. But granted, there's a lot out there and a lot to be confused about. So Serge, Maddie, what are some of the common things that you guys have, you know, experienced with stock market investing and some of the misconceptions or maybe mistakes that you see that are out there? Uh, I'd probably say just off the top of my head, you know, people's lack of research and just kind of throwing money into something because they hear a tip or something like that. You got to go and do your own research and, and really be educated about where you're putting your money. Yeah. I think this last year, like TikTok investment of advice, oh, I think yeah. we've, we've all <laughs> taken it. Uh, maybe not you guys, but uh, yeah, I think the joke was I threw money at AMC. I threw money at Dogecoin. I sold AMC. I just, those are, it's happening all over the place right now, man. Like to Matt's point, like we don't do enough research. We're just like, Oh, this stock's, this stock's going to pop, but who knows? Exactly. And the thing with the pandemic, what we've seen is there's just been people entering into the stock market, entering into the investment arena, and they don't really know anything. And what they are doing is they're getting advice from nobodies on TikTok and YouTube. And, you know, it's a dangerous place right now if you don't know what you're doing. So, I think for this episode, I've come up with six solid tips that I think are really going to help people kind of sift through the BS and figure out their path. So I think this is going to be a great one. If you are interested in investing and you want to avoid the big mistakes that are out there, there's a lot of them, a lot of common ones I see, definitely listen to the rest of this episode. Before we get into it though, I think we're going to start with a little bit of a, you know, a new addition to the Free Retiree Show. Attorney Matt McElroy, you're an excellent father and, uh, you know, he was just sharing some parenting tips about, uh, you know, putting Walker to sleep and how to wake up Walker. So, uh, Matt, you want to share some parenting advice on how to wake up your child? <laughs> It'd be the same approach that I take to waking you up, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> 
parenting, (laughs) waking up children. Um, Yeah. Make your voice as uh, abrasive as possible. Um, Use cold water, you know, (laughs) throw on them, Uh, have a weapon to defend yourself. I don't know. (laughs) For the listeners, the reason this conversation started is uh, Walker wakes up mad every morning with Dada, wake up, wake up. And so, (laughs) Uh, Matt tried that same tactic this morning and it was not well received by his uh, three-year-old. If you guys have any questions, you know, financially accurated or uh, parenting tips for attorney Matt McElroy, send them to ask at thefreeretiree.com. Or if you want to give parenting tips to attorney Matt McElroy, Uh, it might be better to receive tips than to give tips. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we're back, we're going to be talking about the six mistakes you need to keep in mind when investing in the stock market. Stay tuned. Welcome back into the Free Retiree Show. Today, we are talking about the biggest mistakes investors make when investing in the stock market. So, guys, just to start off, has there been any things that you guys have, you know, done in the past where the stock market has burned you or you feel like you made a mistake? Should have held on to my AMC shares. (laughs) (laughs) I don't invest in stocks that much, so I haven't haven't really made any mistakes like that. I bought a little bit of Apple through Robinhood and that's about it. (laughs) I could share. I've sold... I sold Google my Google stock when I worked there when it was at 850, 8.52, I think. And this was before I really knew how kind of stocks worked and the potential of Google. But like now it's close to $3,000 a share. I would say that's a mistake. Exactly. <laughs> but it, it's hard to see that though at the time. You know what I mean? And it, it's just, it's all circumstantial. 100%. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So let's start off with tip number six. Well, we'll do it a little bit in reverse order. We'll go up to number six and then I'll build up to number one. Number one being what I think probably the most important one is, but they're all very important. So let's start with number six, being a speculator versus being an owner, right? So right now, when you have people that are investing, they're always thinking about it is the casino, green flashy lights, red flashy lights. And you think, well, I got to sell this and get out before it gets to a certain point. And right now, you know, we've talked about this before on our podcast, the difference between being a day trader and speculator versus being an investor. And so the two get intertwined and people always think, well, I got to sell this before it drops. Now, 95% of people that are in the day trading game fail, right? That's according to Vantage Point Trading Company, meaning the amount of money they came in is less after they get out of the game. So there's a massive difference between being a trader and being an investor. So what do you guys think the percentages are for people that are successful at day trading, meaning they generated a significant profit? Less than 5%. 4.5. So that is the rough average of a day trader making a profit. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) That is the exact message. Everyone (laughs) do it. There's a chance. There's always a chance. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So that those are the numbers, right? So there's a significant difference between day trading, stock picking, and being an investor. When you are 
looking at these investments, you need to feel like I'm an owner, right? I'm an owner in this company. I'm waiting for this to make revenue. I'm, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul, right? You wouldn't start working at a company to get out of the company after they pay you some money three weeks later. And that's why you need to change your mindset and become an owner of stocks rather than a speculator of stocks. Do you think part of that is kind of like really believing in the company that you're buying or, you know, being on par with their products and believing in, and you know, basically their success going forward? A hundred percent. I think that's one of the biggest parts of this is you have to look at the investment, whether it's a conglomerate of stocks and companies, or if it's a single stock, you need to look at it and say like, I believe in this. I believe that it's going to generate revenue. And I don't care if it goes up and down in the short term, you have to look at the long-term um, potential of the company or the, the market and if you have that mindset, you're on the right path. But if you have the short-term mindset, you're going to get burned at some point in time. So tip number five, not taking advantage of market downturns. So this one I'm going to put into two different categories, 5A and 5B, not buying in during the large drops. The thing that I think that works when it comes to stock market investing is doing it consistently, month in and month out. But also you get points in time where you get what we call corrections, where the market goes down about 10%. Bear markets, market going down about 20%. And those are, in fact, opportunities, right? And human nature is to uh, kind of do the opposite of what you should do. And you get scared and you're like, well, I'm not going to do anything because this is too painful. And you end up doing the opposite, where you put in money during the high points when maybe the market's overvalued, right? So... Take advantage of the large drops though. That's a massive discount surge. Your wife, Kim, she loves to go shopping. It's equivalent of, you know, going to TJ Maxx and getting 20% discount, 10% discount. Just okay. makes sense, right? So why, why do you think it is that you, we have the urge to buy at the top end of the market? Is it like the fear of missing out? Yeah. Or what, what do you think it is? I think it is that FOMO feeling. When things are good, people want to be a part of it, right? I think you're like, yeah. everything's going great. I want a piece of that. But, you know, when it comes to stock market investing, you know, that can be the worst thing because you're getting it, you're only getting in when things are overvalued and then it goes down. And what I've seen as a, a financial advisor is people continue to do that over and over again. And they wonder why they're not making money in their investments. Because if you're only buying in when the market's good, it's going to mess with your overall return, right? You have to have that consistency. And 5B, would say, I would say, is kind of associated with the first one, but repositioning can also be very valuable. And I think this is where a good financial manager comes in. If you get opportunities where the market does go down 10, 20, 30%, you have opportunities that pop up. You can look at fixed income, if you structure your fixed income properly and it doesn't take a big hit during these downturns, which your fixed income shouldn't, if you design it properly, that's not the case uh, you know, across the board. A lot of times people have fixed income in their portfolio that's a little bit more aggressive in nature and it, turn, it, it tends to plummet during times of volatility. If you design your fixed income properly, it should hold its value and then you can reposition if your situation is if your financial situation is healthy, you can say, well, I'm going to sell 
this fixed income, or maybe use some cash that's on the sideline. And I'm going to buy these stocks because they're heavily discounted. So repositioning during the right time can be valuable uh, when you have a market downturn. I would say do not, whatever you do, take your money out of the market during a downturn. That's a terrible mistake. But repositioning to take advantage of a downturn is something that I think is something people should do and not many people do at all. When, when you talk about fixed income, like what, what exactly are you referring to? Like are you about dividends? Or are you talking about like, you know, rental income from properties or like? Well, the way I'm talking about is more like bonds, right? So you have some bonds that we refer to as like high yield. Uh, People still buy bonds. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's still a thing. <laughs> still a thing. Seems, it seems like an old timey type of uh, yeah, but it's not the same way as they used to do it where they would, you know, buy the coupon, the certificate and put in their safe deposit box. What now they do is they buy it into like the, they have funds that they buy into and it's multiple bonds of part of a fund and that's how they do it now. But they're still part of many people's portfolios. Uh, for the majority of people that are, you know, have 401ks, there's a good portion of bonds in there. And what you see often that I think is kind of a mistake is a lot of people will try to make a high return on the bonds. And when you do that, sometimes you can expose your bonds to more risk. You can go, you can lose the quality and what we refer to in the financial world as junk bonds, triple B and below, you're getting into that junk category. You're going to get a better return during probably normal times, but during the bad times, it's not a normal to see your bonds tank. Uh, during well, times like coronavirus or the Great Recession, the, the thing that the, the issue is, is that I don't. I <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but I don't completely understand how a bond works when you invest in it. I mean, I have an idea, but it's like the way you're describing it with junk bonds and all that stuff. It's like I, I don't really have a, a clear under. Like, can you can you give like a little like kind of like a sim- simple overview of what a bond does? Yeah. So think of it as like a debt, and you're lending money to someone, and they're going to pay you money back for that money that you give them right? That's the simplest way that I can refer to it, but there's different types. When you get bonds that are, generally speaking, longer in duration till their time of maturity, there's, there can be more risk associated with those. So if you have bonds that are going out, you know, 10 plus years or 20 plus years, they might give you a higher return or a payment, but also during the downturns, you might see their, their prices drop during times like coronavirus or the Great Recession or any period of economic turmoil. Like, can people default on a bond? Is, that, is it possible can. that that person... Okay. They can. And that's the other thing you have to be aware of too. If you're trying to you know, buy these junk bonds, there is a chance that they can default and you can lose your money on them, right? Okay. And then is that why they call them a junk bond is because of the, the potential of default? It, it does. It is correlated to the potential of them uh, de- defaulting. So... You can have high investment grade uh, bonds, short in duration. Uh, we call triple A's, double A's, single A's. And those ones aren't generally going to yield you massive returns, but they're going to be more consistent and they're going to have more safety. And so I think what works really well is, you know, when you have bonds part of the portfolio, too many people are focused on building, getting a big return on the bond. I think that it makes sense to get your big returns on your stocks because they're going to overperform and then use the bonds for safety, right? So your portfolio doesn't come crashing down during the, the tough points. And you have the ability to reposition those bonds if you are in the right situation 
to make money because you can reposition the bonds, sell, sell them off and buy stocks uh, that might be heavily discounted and then wait for the markets to recover and end up making, you know, a good healthy profit that way. So what's like a good return on a bond? Like what, like the average? It, it depends, right? Like, so if we're going back to, you know, if you're buying high investment grade bonds versus uh, junk bonds, I think right now where interest rates are at, it's the bond market is extremely tough uh, at this point in time. Historically, you can get anywhere from uh, four to seven percent on your bonds. I think that's a good healthy average. But like I said, the world of bonds, there's a it's it's big. There's a bu- there's a bunch of different types. So it's all all across the board. But just to be just to give general guidance, I would say, you know, use your bonds for safety and giving yourself different options during market downturns. So I think quality is very important when we come to talking about bonds. So let's go to tip number four, not consistently investing. And I kind of mentioned this a little bit before in the beginning, um, just human nature, right? We have to think about uh, investing at all points in time, not just when things are great. People, if they're left to their own devices, uh, will reduce potential return and make investing not effective if they're doing it only during the good times and then you know selling out when things get bad. So, what we want to do is we want to you know instead of buying in too high or buying in too low, just invest consistently. I think consistency is key when it comes to getting good uh, investment results. And that's something that I think a common mistake that a lot of people make. Do you like automate it? Or I, you know, you have to say, is automating a good way to do that? Like, is there a way to do that right now? Yes. Uh, I think some of the apps have that. Yeah. Apps can do that, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you can set up a monthly electronic uh, deposit and investment schedule uh, through your financial institutions for most of them. And I think that's the best thing that works. I think for me, out of all these mistakes, I think this is probably the one that hit me the most in my investment career is I didn't invest consistently. I kind of fell into human nature. When things were good, I put the money in and I probably bought in too high. And then when things were low, I didn't jump in. I think that was probably a big mistake for me. And I think over the last uh, you know, five years, I've had really good re- results from my investing just because I do it consistently. I don't think about it. It just happens, right? So every month, the money leaves my checking account and gets invested. Do, but do you pick and choose what you're investing in or do you just have set go-tos that are just automatically going? For me, I have set go-tos. I structure my portfolio kind of like, you know, how most uh, companies do uh, growth, growth and income, some fixed income, international emerging market. I have the basics, but I have a tilt towards smaller companies within those categories. And I also focus on technology and health and they're well diversified positions. And it just happens every single month. I don't think about it. It just automatically goes into those categories. I do, however, when the market's take big downturns like corrections or bear markets, I do add in a chunk during that time. But unless those events happen, it's just consistent every single month. All right. So tip number three, not having a long time horizon. So if you're investing in the market and you don't have five years or more, I would tell you you're being short-sighted. 
Very important when you're being a stock market investor is to have a long time horizon. We don't know what's going to happen, you know, year over year. But, you know, if we look at the averages over 10 years, you're going to have, if you have 10 years, seven of those years, you're going to, you're going to do well. Two of them might be down and you might have one flat year. Those are the rough averages, right? So what if you get in during 2008, right? you're going to feel terrible. Uh, stock market recovery, you know, for 2008 was roughly about uh, three years. So what if you got in the year before that? The next four years, you're thinking like, wow, this whole stock market thing doesn't make any sense, right? But then after that, you're doing well, you, you have a nice solid return. So I think a lot of the risk that's, a, that's in the market can be offset by having a long-term mindset. Just put that money in there and pretend like it's not there, right? Exactly. Just yeah, I like that. Instead of watching it, sometimes I'll just watch my Charles Schwab account. Like every day, I'll just watch. It's like pointless. <laughs> just go check on it. I just go check on it. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah, and that's the yeah. thing is like we always want to like look at it and we're like, oh, is it still like there? <laughs> yeah. Is it still there? It's there. And then then you start freaking out about it, and then and then that makes you want to sell because you're short sighted. Yeah, and like, I think I've told you guys this before. I mean. I run into people that, you know, had all these bad experiences about the stock market and they're like, oh, but my real estate's done really great. One real great advantage of real estate is that you can't call someone like me and say, sell it. You need to get rid of it today, right? It, it forces people to hold on to the, the asset and it's, it's difficult to get rid of it. And so that's the, I think one of the biggest dangers with, you know, being an investor in the market is you can let fear take over and you can make an instantly bad decision in a matter of seconds, right? And that's why you see a lot of people that haven't done well is because emotion takes over and that's how they make their decisions. Yeah. Well, what's your opinion? Do you feel like people kind of have to go through it and experience these things to really like respect it and, and understand it? You know what I mean? Cause like, you know, just from my own experience, when I've done stuff, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to FOMO. I'm not going to do that. And I've done it. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I FOMO'd. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it, but it's like, you don't really like, you know, it's, it's not always like you can see it. In the but you know what, though? I think it's a great point. I think it's, you have to be, it's experience. Uh, yeah, exactly. Being experience. able to withstand that because I made the same mistakes in the beginning when I started invest. I made those same mistakes. Even so, though you knew about, even though I knew, those, even yeah. though, <laughs> even though I knew, and it's amazing. You know, it's funny. I've been at multiple financial firms and you think these people would have, have it all figured out, but you still see a lot of advisors in these firms. The, the media gets to them, fear gets to them and they even sell out yep. and make the same mistakes that regular investors do. So uh, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you have to have the experience and you have to believe in the data. You can't believe in the, the articles that you see every single day popping up on your newsfeed because the news wants to sell you fear. They, that's how they get the clicks. Yeah. And you don't, you don't know what's motivating the article either. You yeah. know what I mean? There's so much like crap that goes on in the background. hundred percent. But I think like if you look at data and believe in it, that's the best, that's the best recipe. And that's for me, what I've learned to do is just like tune out the noise and just look at the data and what's out there that's been proved by Nobel prize winners that know what they're doing and just believe in academic data. Don't, don't believe in the fluff. Take the emotion. I was going to say like, if the emotion's out of it, 
it seems like people would be better overall. Like in terms of investing, like the hu- if you take the human out of it, it sounds like if you just win by data and science and take the human out, you'd probably do well. You kill it. You would do, do amazing, but yeah. it's, it's, it's combating well, human emotion is one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. That's why I like your tip about like, you know, have the long-term game plan, you know, five years plus, because when you do that, those other th- emotion and all those things aren't going to matter. You're holding yeah. no matter what, you know? So it's kind of like a, it's a good way to combat that. Yeah. I mean, more than likely you're going to invest and you're going to probably make money pretty quickly, but those, I'm just talking about the abnormal times. Just think of it as the worst case scenario. Like we talked about 2008, you're getting in and you know, 2007 height of the market. I mean, it's going to be four years probably before you start to see good returns in your portfolio. So have that long-term approach. And I think if you have that as your mindset, you know, everything else is gravy. Tip number two, kind of missed, kind of touched on this a little bit, selling out during declines, right? And why is that so bad? You're going to miss the recovery, right? So a common thing you see is people said, oh, there's a massive market decline. I'm going to get out of the market and I'm going to come back in when things get better. The problem with that mindset is the recovery happens very fast. So if you jump out, you're missing vital days in terms of making a profit. So it, it, you've, everyone has this, this ideology that they can jump out and they'll figure out when to get back in. That is false. You cannot figure out when to get back in. And missing those big recovery days make a huge difference on the portfolio. So one thing I brought up is uh, for today's discussion is a report. And there's multiple reports like this out there, but I took this one from Putnam Investments. And it goes from the beginning of 2006 and goes all the way to 2020. And it talks about if you had $10,000 and you invested it in the S&P 500, what the total return was. Now, I'll just give you guys this. If you did that and you invest in the S&P 500 and you stayed invested- In 2006? 2006 to 2020, your return was 9.88% annualized. So if you put in 10,000, you end up with $41,000. Well, 41,100 approximate. That's over 14 years? Yep. But now here's the crazy part. Now this is, I want you guys to digest this because this is what I thought was fascinating. If you missed the 10 best days, we're just talking about 10 days in that you know, 14 years, what do you think your rate of return was? So staying fully invested, 9.88, which is killing it. Pretty good. What if you missed the 10 best days. What do you guys think the return was? Just 10 days. You're playing in and out oh, and, and you miss those and you miss those days. You missed 10 of them, the, the top 10 of them. Probably cut in half, right? Maybe 4% return. What do you think, Maddie? Well, I mean, cause you'd be selling at a loss when you sell out a little bit, right? And then you jump in at a height. So you're not really, yeah, I would say maybe even under 4%, right? Like now that you sold out, you just missed the 10 best days. Yeah, I would say maybe even less than 4%. I, would, I wouldn't so be surprised. If you miss the 10 best days out of that 14 years, your return goes to 4.31%. Oh, Serge hit it like right on the dot. Yeah, Serge. <laughs> Go that a boy. If you miss the 20 best days, what do you guys think that return is? Well, just math. I just cut it another half, right? Yes. So. 2%? Ah, wrong. And it's, oh. point, it's 0.88. Oh, shit. 
Oh wow! Right, so if you mi- that's what that's mind blowing, right? And the first stat you gave us was just holding the whole time, right? The first stat was you just held it. You didn't sell out. Okay. Wow. And then it's missing that. So if you just were out for ten days during you know this decade and a half, your your return drops to four point three one. If you miss the twenty best days, your return goes down to point eight eight. So and stop then, being a day trader is what you're telling us. Stop just being a hold. day trader. Just, just you got hold. you got to hold it because those days that you that where the market kills it, that's where you that's why you want to be in there. You don't know when they're going to be there, but you got to hold on for that. It, the thing is though is like, I mean, it's cool, right? Like ten thousand turns into forty one or whatever. Like that's that, that's awesome. But at the same time, it's like, is that really considered like a good return in the stock world? Because I feel like you know tying up you know, your money for 16 years for what? Is that like a three X game? Like, right. Yeah. I think it's great because think about it as maybe the 10,000 wasn't a lot, but then you made it to 41,000. And then, you know, 10 years after that, what is that going to turn into? Right. It's the compounding rate. Um, mm. So it's like the snowball. It's the cartoon, right? You know, you got, we all saw the cartoons of the snowball that rolls downhill. Yeah. It starts off small, but then it just compounds and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So th- I think that's the true power there is, uh, yeah, maybe if you're, you know, looking at the small dollar amount, when you start off, you're like, Oh, where's the value. But there's, you know, down the road when you have, you know, it might be really difficult to get your portfolio from, you know, 10,000, to a hundred thousand that might that, that might seem like a difficult feat but you know once you get a hundred thousand you know in the next you know eight years getting it to two hundred thousand is is easy and then going from that to almost half a million in 10 years it becomes something that becomes a reality as well so it's like the compounding effect is Wait, let me let me ask a quick question is there ever for a noob investor is there ever a good time to sell are you like, how do I know when I do need to sell? Is it more of a situational base? Like I need the money I need to sell or what, or just forever hold. When you sell, you need the money for, <laughs> you need the money for something in your life, whether okay. it's, uh, you know, schooling for your kids, going on vacation, a new car. I think those are the times that make sense to sell, but selling, house payment or something. Yeah. Selling Down out. Payment, yeah. I don't think it's ever a good idea. I think repositioning, Maybe like you sell some, you sell a position and you buy back in at a better position. I think there's value there, but selling out completely and waiting on the sidelines. I never, I'd never think that's a good idea. I've just haven't seen that strategy work. Uh, what, what is like, say like, what if you made like a bunch of money, right? And you're like, Hey, I just want to cash out and not work and, and chill. You know what I mean? What, what, what do you, what do you say to something like that? I would say that you can cash some of it out and use it to have some fun, but it's always good to have some in there to keep building your wealth for the long haul. The, the clients that I have that have struggled, um, they fit a very specific type of ideology. They're scared of the market. They can't stay in the market. They sell out of their positions when the market goes down. And those are my clients that struggle. And as much as I tell them, hey, this is not the right thing, they, they just, they're like, well, yeah, we understand it, but you know, we're scared and we, this is just would make us feel better. And I'm like, all right, if that's the way you want to do it. And those are the ones that have struggled. Their retirement is tight. So I just think, you know, being invested, 
at some way, shape, or form is the right decision. And plus, that's how you're going to offset inflation. Right now, if you've got a bunch of money sitting in cash on the sidelines, I mean, inflation was already uh, you know, a problem before coronavirus. But now we've just printed massive, massive amount of money. Inflation is going to rear its ugly head. And you're going to look at, you have to look at it like your cash is losing money every single year. And the only way to offset that is to be an investor. You have to invest in real estate or you have to invest in the stock market. That's how you're going to combat that. Going back to the stats, if you miss the 30 best days during that time frame that we were talking about, the 15 years, your return is negative uh, 1.88. So you would have about $7,526. And if you've missed the 40 best days, your return is negative 4.26. So you'd have about $5,205. That's so, almost like day trading though, right? Because at that point you're making multiple moves a month. And you know what I mean? Yeah. That's it, where you're falling into that line. So it's like, it kind of proves like the more you try to, to be strategic and do the day trading thing, the more you're just going to lose. It's yeah, all about it, the, the long-term hold. It, it's, it's, it's right. And, you know, all the, um, and I was, Serge and I were talking about this before, but there was a stat that I saw on the companies that sell trading systems. You know, they give you a, you pay them $30, $50 a month, and they give you this report. The profits from those companies, 99% of them is from the system or the book that they're selling they're not making money from their own recommendations. So they have all this slick advertising about like, we know all this stuff and they're only making money on selling to people like us, but they're not making money on their investment recommendations. So it's just, it's messed up. And let's go to tip number one, the number one biggest mistake, not being invested. So we kind of alluded to this through this whole discussion, but time in the market, not timing the market is the most important factor to success in investing in the stock market. Um, being out of it is probably the biggest mistake. Uh, and just to give you guys an example, I remember uh, back in 2013, I was working for a company and we had this company called SEI come into our office and talk about you know what they saw in the market. And these are the people that are extremely respected in the industry. They have great analysts. Uh, and they're talking about in 2013 that they saw this massive market correction and they were, they were scared about it and they weren't putting their money in. And they were waiting for that drop. 2013, I heard that story. 2014, I heard the same story from multiple companies. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I, I heard that story every single year. That story will never go away. It will happen every single year. You will see it in your news feeds. You will hear it from people. That is a story that happens every year. And it can keep, it can get you paralyzed and you won't take action and you won't be invested. So all the way till 2020, there was a drop, right? Actually a substantial drop. There was other small corrections during that time, but nothing substantial. Then we had coronavirus and we had a substantial drop, but it was short and things recovered. So think about it. If you were waiting during this past eight years now to jump in, how much money you would have lost, 
right? So I think that's the biggest mistake, not being in the market. So if you're someone that, you know, has been thinking about it, stop overthinking, just do it. Yes, you might get in at the worst possible time, but if you stick it out for five years, you're more than likely going to be happy with your decision. So those are my tips, guys. Good stuff, man. I think yeah. the last one's important. Um, I was thinking how, like, we're correlating it to um, the real estate market and how we've been saying it's going to crash. It's going to crash. It's going to crash. I feel like I've been saying that for like five, six it's years. Great. <laughs> yeah. It's like the best ever right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the best ever. Like, you can't even find a house. Everything's going out. We're over asking, but I think it's similar, right? I think it is similar. I think it's like you want to get the best opportune time to get in, but sometimes it's, it's more about just doing it and getting in because I think real estate's a great investment. I think stocks are great investments. And that's, I think the biggest thing is just get in it so you can experience those gains. If you get in during the wrong time, time will work itself out and it will become a great investment the more time you're in it. Well, especially with inflation too, right? It's like, that's a good recipe to really kick up property values in the long term. Exactly. And there's a lot of people saying, how do you deal with inflation right now own real estate that's going to be a great way to combat inflation so what about cryptocurrency (laughs) (laughs) but the moral of the story is you know be invested don't wait on the sidelines all right guys that's it for this episode thanks for joining us you've been listening to the free retiree show so long for now offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The free retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities American Advisors or Securities American Incorporated. Securities American Advisors, Securities American Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of LinkedIn Incorporated or Microsoft Corporation. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.